0: Good scene tonight. Good job, Kellen. Enjoyed it, man. Really enjoyed it. That uh, famous 19th century preacher from London said it perfectly. Um, to dovetail on what we talked about last week, Charles Spurgeon said, religion is simply painted pageantry to go to hell in. Did you get that? We talked a lot about religion last week and that Satan is the author of all world religions, even counterfeit Christianity. We know that Christianity stands off on its own. Uh, It is a grace system. It is not a works system as every other religious system is. Religion, Spurgeon said, is simply painted pageantry to go to hell in. Satan loves religion. He's created every one of them. He takes multitudes to hell with his religious schemes. No doubt, Satan is particularly proud, as we talked about last week, of how he designed and packaged and marketed counterfeit Christianity. Jesus doesn't say there will be a few who are deceived. He doesn't say there will be several who are deceived. He doesn't say there will be some who are deceived. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7? There will be what? Many who say to me, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will say to them, I don't know who you are. Jesus says there will be many. Many will say to the Lord, we did a lot of really cool religious stuff. You remember remember the list of these guys? These guys were kind of impressive in one sense. They prophesied, they cast out demons, and they performed many miracles, all in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, these guys are not just nominally religious like most uh, who call themselves Christians are these days. They were doing some impressive stuff, right? I mean, their list is better than my list. I've never cast out a demon. I've never done a miracle. How about you? Is their list better than yours? But that's what we're going to find out tonight, right? It's not about lists. It's not about lists. As we started talking about last week, and as we will complete uh, this little section in Philippians about the true Gospel... So these guys aren't your run-of-the-mill Christian religionists. They are extraordinary. They're casting out demons, and they are doing miracles. Jesus said to these guys, I do not know who you are. What do we infer from that? Christianity is not works. Christianity is not religion. Christianity is what? It's relational. It's knowing God. It's knowing Christ Jesus. You ever wondered why Jesus called these guys? He said, Man, you guys, you guys depart from me. You practice lawlessness. Have you ever wondered why uh, Jesus used that word there? You ever wondered why he accused them of lawlessness? I mean, no doubt these guys were obviously reputable, probably moral, probably respected in the community. Why would he call them? Lawless. Why would God call them lawless? What's so bad about being a serious religious quote-unquote Christian? Everything. <laughs> Everything. This is Jesus' point. These guys said, look at my list. Look how impressive it is. God's not impressed with your list of works, is He? God's not impressed with... Our list of works, counterfeit Christianity, false Christianity, pseudo-Christianity. You find out when you study these systems, they are not about Jesus at all. They're really, what are they about? Someone tell me. They're not really about Jesus. They're about man. You boil them all down, you discover that they're about man. Like any good con man, Satan has done the bait and, swi- bait and switch. Counterfeit Christianity, it sounds a little bit like Christianity. It looks a little bit like Christianity. They use the Bible sometimes. They use Christian words. But it's not the true gospel. It's not the true gospel. When you look at it really hard, it's not about Christ, it's more about men. Satan takes the Christ centered gospel and he turns it into a man centered gospel in at least two ways. In at least two ways, Satan does this. First, he always substitutes works for grace. You can always tell a counterfeit uh, system, a counterfeit uh, Christian system, they'll always substitute works for grace. It ends up being more about the, the, the man's works than it is about the finished work of Jesus and His merit on the cross. Satan takes the biblical message of being saved by, we said it a lot last week, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and he piles up a whole bunch of religious stuff on top of that. And, it, and, and the church says, well, you have to do all this stuff in addition to Christ Jesus. Church membership, attendance, baptism, sacraments, prayers, etc., etc., etc. In the end, Man's church affiliation and his good works in that church earn God's favor. This is what is taught in these systems. It earns God's favor. You store up merit in these systems. In effect, man is earning his own salvation. The second way that Satan turns the Christ-centered gospel into a man-centered one is the sham, name it and claim it, prosperity gospel, where Jesus is pushed to the background and man is in the foreground. And it's all about my health, wealth, and prosperity. I know you guys; many of you guys have heard this kind of sham, pseudo-false Christian gospel. Man stands in the middle there. Man is standing in the middle and not Christ. This is why Jesus calls the Christian religionist one, of, one who practices lawlessness. If you look at some of the other translations of the Greek there, Jesus is saying you're practicing unrighteousness. He says you're practicing iniquity. He says you're evildoers. You're casting out demons in My name. Jesus says you're an evildoer. You're trusting in your lists. You're trusting in your good works. What did God say last week? Men who uh, preach a different Gospel other than the Gospel of pure grace that's revealed in the Bible, what did Jesus say last week? And pardon me, what did God say through the Apostle Paul in Galatians 1? You're, let, let that man be a curse. But what did God say also to the Apostle Paul last week in Philippians? He said they're dogs. Anyone that comes to you with a different Gospel, they're dogs and evil workers. Jim, that's harsh. I know it's harsh. These are not my words. These are the words of God. These are not my words, beloved. These are the words of God. Is there a greater arrogance? Is there a greater rebellion? Is there a greater evil than to push Jesus Christ out of the center of Christianity and stick man right there? This is why Jesus says it's lawlessness. It's evil. It's unrighteousness. It's iniquity. To take Christianity and push Jesus out to the periphery and put man right in the middle. You know Satan loves it. He's got men believing this stuff. He's got men believing this stuff. Counterfeit Christianity is the pinnacle of lawlessness. It's the pinnacle of... Iniquity. Jesus hammered this. He hammered this in Mark chapter 7. Many of you are familiar with this, this great text. He says, Man, you guys are worshiping in vain. You may be wearing a Christian label, but if you're really trusting in the church and trusting in your works and trusting in your sacraments and trusting in this and trusting in that, he says, Man, you're worshiping in vain. You're worshiping in vain. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 7? He says you're neglecting the the Word. You're setting aside the Word. You're invalidating the Word of God. God hates it when men edit Him and when men amend Him, when they spin and market the truth, when they adulterate the pure Gospel of grace, and when they make man the center or they make church the center of the biblical Gospel, when in fact, The only person that can stand in the middle of the biblical Gospel is Christ Jesus Himself. It's King Jesus Himself. King Jesus Himself. So we saw it last week. God hates it when men do this. He says they're dogs and and evil workers. It's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 7 to those religious Christian guys. He says you've trusted in your sham Christian religion. You've trusted in Your good works. You never really sought after Me at all. You never really trusted Me at all. You never really came to Me at all. You never really loved Me at all. And this is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 7. I don't know who You are. Depart from Me. You who practice lawlessness. Remember Jesus' definition of of salvation and eternal life. Who knows it? Who remembers it from last week? Okay, there's a euro in it. First one. A euro, if you remember. Does anyone remember? Pardon me? To know, him. To know God. Who said it? Was that Keith? Okay, yeah, you've been to seminary. I can't give you any money. All right. To know God. John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they may know You. Jesus prays to His Father and that they may know Jesus Christ whom Thou has sin. It's John chapter 10. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Guess what He says there? I know My sheep. And guess what else? My sheep know Me. Beloved, there it is. There's Christianity right there. That's Christianity right there. You don't need robes and candles and castles and cool hats. You don't need any of that stuff. Right? Biblical Christianity is simply knowing Christ Jesus and walking with Him. Jesus said, I know my sheep. My sheep know me. My sheep know me. The Apostle Paul began to learn all of this. He learned all of this. He began to learn all of this face down on the road to Damascus when he encountered the resurrected living God. I mean, the Apostle Paul was a radical, zealous, ferocious, Religious man. He was a ferocious religious man. Then Jesus invaded his life. And everything changed for Paul, right? (laughs) It's just like you. When you met Christ, everything changed. Nothing didn't change when you met the Lord Jesus, when He came into your life. Last week, we saw Paul warning the Philippians about counterfeit Christianity. Remember, there were some false teachers that came in behind Paul and Philippi, and they said, hey man, it's great that you've, you've accepted Christ, but you've got to do another thing too. You've got to be circumcised. Okay, i got my knife. Are you ready? You've got to be circumcised. Or you can't really be saved. And this is what Paul's worked up about. This is what God is saying. Hey, anybody that adds anything to the sufficient work of my son, they're a dog or an evil worker. So these Judaizers, as, as they're, they were called, they would come in behind the Apostle Paul and they would start trying to get these churches that Paul planted to begin to, to go down the path of Judaism. To be circumcised and to keep the law. And this is what the Holy Spirit is fighting in this text. Counterfeit Christianity. Adding something to The biblical message that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. God says, any man that teaches something other than that, any man that adds to that, they're a dog and an evil worker. Let them be accursed. It's the Word of God. Anytime someone amends or edits the biblical gospel, it's always wrong. We've said this a million times when we were in Colossians, right? When we were in 1 John. When someone changes the gospel, it's always wrong, it's always a lie, it's always demonic. It's from the father of lies. I know that's strong, but this is the message of Scripture. So Paul is going to share with us tonight his personal testimony, more or less, in this great text that we're going to look at together. These are some of the things that he learned face down on the road to Damascus. He learned about the futility of trusting in his religion and trusting in all of his lists because he had met Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Let me read it again. Verse 4 through verse 6. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else... Has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to uh, the righteousness which is in the law. I am blameless, Paul says. I am blameless. Man, what, a rel- what an impressive religious guy. Amen? This, guy, this guy's an awesome Jew. He's a perfect Jew. You just don't see uh, Jews with resumes like this very often. Paul says, hey, you know, he's not bragging here. He's making the point. He says, hey, you have confidence in your circumcision? If anyone's going to have confidence in, in uh, religion, it would be me. I'm one of the most religious people you've ever met. It's basically what the Apostle Paul is saying to us here. And he says, I know... The futility of trusting in religion. I know because I've met Christ Jesus. It's filthy rags in the eyes of the living God. It's filthy rags. Religion is filthy rags in the eyes of a holy God. Paul's saying here, you know, you're never going to meet someone more impressive than me. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day just like God commanded I'm of the nation of Israel. I'm one of the chosen people, man. I'm one of the covenant people of God. He says, I came out of the tribe of Benjamin. It was one of the two tribes that stayed faithful to the Davidic dynasty. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm pure-blooded. My parents were both Hebrews. He says, I'm pure-blooded. He says, not only that, I'm a Pharisee. He says, I'm an elite fundamentalist, is what Paul Is saying here, not only that, I am a zealot. I persecute those who do not practice Judaism like I think it should be practiced. He says, I'm a a zealot. Then he also says, as to the law, he says, I'm blameless. There's no man who can bring a reproach upon my name outwardly. I am outwardly blameless. Before the law, he says, I am a law keeping maniac. That's what the Apostle Paul says. I am an awesome Jew. Paul says, he was a religious machine. He had one of the best lists that anyone could compile. He'd done all the right rituals. He had the right pedigree. He had the right ethnicity. He had the right tradition. He had the right religious credentials. Not only that, he was passionate about it. If God were ever going to be impressed with a man, it would be the Apostle Paul. But what did he learn face down on the road to Damascus? What did he learn? He learned he was not only not pleasing God. Does anyone remember? He was opposing God. Do you see why God calls religious men dogs and evil workers? Paul, it reminds me of that proverb. You know the great proverb um, 14. There's a way which seems right to a man, but in its end it is the way of death. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting Me? In his religion, Paul found himself persecuting God. Do you understand? Do you see why God gets so exercised about this? Do you see why He's throwing phrases around like dogs and evil workers and... Workers of lawlessness and unrighteousness and iniquity. Paul in his religion was actually persecuting and opposing God. What did Paul learn when he encountered Jesus? He learned these things ritual is not going to save you, beloved. Pedigree is not going to save you. Ethnicity is not going to save you. Tradition is not going to save you. Religious credentials are not going to save you. Zeal will not save you. There is only one person who can save you. His name is Christ Jesus. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Beloved, if any of you are trusting in religion tonight, I, I want to exhort you. You need to jettison that. It's Satan inspired and it's man made. And no doubt, you, are, you will find that you are on the opposing side from God. You will find on the last day, if you do not repent from trusting in your religion, that you indeed were opposing God and persecuting Christ Jesus. So face down on the road to Damascus, Paul learned how a man was saved. He's saved by Christ Jesus. That's it. That's it. And everything changed, you know, in the blinding light of the glory of Christ. He saw what his religion was. It was filthy rags. I think he's laying there face down, okay? The light was blinding. He's laying there face down, and I think he's hearing Isaiah. He's hearing Isaiah in his head. What is Isaiah saying? Chapter 64, 6. All your righteous deeds are what? They are filthy rags. I think he's laying there and he realizes, man, my whole life is a filthy rag. I've been trusting in my religion. I've been trusting in my works. I've been trusting in my do-gooding. I've been trusting in my rituals. I've been trusting in everything. My whole life is a filthy rag. He's laying face down. I, I, I Yeah, I might be reading something into it, but I, I really think all of this began that first day when he's laying face down on the road to Damascus. And I think he's thinking, how stupid could I be to think that my sin-stained, sin-contaminated, sin-infected works could ever impress this awesome God that I am now blinded before? This holy God, this unapproachable God. How could I have been so, yeah, stupid to think that He would ever be impressed? with my religion and my good works. Beloved, man-made religion in general and counterfeit religion, counterfeit Christianity in particular, I want to say it's blasphemous in the eyes of God. It blasphemes God. We talked a lot about it last week. I'm not going to go down that that road again talking about the various uh, false religions in the world. It's blasphemous to God. It's a low view of God to think that our works could ever make us acceptable to Him. It is a low view of God. It is a high view of man. These are always the errors of religion. Low view of God, high view of man. Biblical Christianity is altogether different. Low view of man, high view of God. And there's only one way. Only one way we can get to God. That's if God comes and gets us through Christ Jesus. That's if we come through Christ. It's the only way. There is no other way. As we talked about last week, Paul's face down and he's enveloped in this blinding light, this glory, this majesty, this awe. And I think he's thinking. Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 8. Okay, let me read it to you. I think this is what's in his head. I think all this is going on instantaneously as he lays there face down in the glory of Christ. Philippians 3.7 But whatever things were gained to me before today, <laughs> Paul says, man, it's all loss. Don't you love it? He says, man, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. I have met God. Verse eight. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. I think this is going in his. I think he's already thinking Philippians three seven and eight when he's on that on that road to Damascus, face down. He says, man, all my religion, it's rubbish. That's what the NAS says. I looked at all the other English translations. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. All my religion, man, and all my works and trusting in all that stupid stuff. He says, man, it's rubbish. You go to the other translations, it says it's garbage. It's trash. It's filth. It's refuse. The King James says it's dung. How strong can it be? You see how God feels about man-made religion? You see how God feels about counterfeit Christianity? It's dung. And Paul says, I recognize it for what it is. It's, it's refuse in really seeing Christ. He saw just how filthy his religion really was. His sin-infected law-keeping. Again, Isaiah 64. All your righteous deeds are filthy, unclean, polluted, rags. It's painted pageantry to go to hell in, as Charles Spurgeon said. Did you notice in verse 7? Paul is using accounting language. Maybe he was a CPA. I don't know. You know, CPAs become preachers sometimes. That happens. But he's using, he's using accounting language here in, in verse 7. He's been keeping a ledger, man. He's been adding it all up. This is all the cool religious stuff I did. And, you know, isn't that the way most people think? When they, if, if you have any thoughts about God at all, which many don't anymore, but if you think about God, many people think, well, I just need to, to have more plus than minus. I just need to have more good stuff than bad stuff. Isn't that the way most people think it is? You know, you ask your random person on the street, that's what they're going to say. Well, do you think you should go to heaven? Well, I've, I've been pretty good. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not as bad as this other guy I know. I'm not so bad. Isn't that what you always hear? Isn't that what all the false religions in the world are about? Works? Earning their way? But isn't that what you hear? Paul says, man, I've been adding it up. My ledger is impressive. I've got this awesome list. Paul's self-justifying pile of religious activity was more impressive than most. He was an awesome Jew as we talked about earlier. But he, he realized on, on, the, on, the, on the road to Damascus face down, it was all loss. It was all worthless. It was all loss. It wasn't only arrogant to think that he could impress God, it was blasphemous to think he could impress God. We talked about last week that Famous Puritan, Matthew Mead. I'm just going to share this quote with you again because I I really liked it. He says, No man was ever kept out of heaven for his confessed badness, though many are kept out of heaven for their supposed goodness. Many, Jesus says, Matthew chapter, many will say to me, Lord, we did all this cool religious stuff. Jesus will say, I don't know who you are. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So face down on the road to Damascus, Paul understood what he'd always thought was gain. It was in fact loss to him. His whole life had been about religion, and it was lost. There are two ways in which, there are two senses in which uh, the passage is talking about loss here. Loss in the sense. That it was worthless to accomplish uh, the purpose for which it was engaged in. It was worthless to accomplish uh, reconciliation with God. Religious works could not accomplish it. His perfect Jewishness would not justify him before a holy God. The second sense in which it is worthless is that uh, he no longer saw it as of value. He no longer saw it as of any value. You understand? It no longer held his attention. It no longer longer held his allegiance. It no longer held his interest. He had met Christ. No more dead religion for him. Right? No more dead religion for him. I was going to share a quote with you. An old preacher said like this, It's like a wooden leg. Religion is like a wooden leg. There is neither warmth nor life in it. And although it seems to help you hobble along, it never really becomes part of you, but must be strapped on every morning. Isn't that what religion is? You have to get up and strap it on every every morning, right? You just have to. Stra- There's no life in it. There's no joy in it. There's no hope in it. It's just dead. It's like a wooden leg. I like that. No more religion for Paul. He met Christ Jesus. No more religion. He's now in a relationship. Right? No more religion. He's now in a relationship. One thing I love, when people leave and they, I, I hear back from them, they email me, and they, now they understand the difference between religion and, and biblical Christianity. And I love it. I get comments back from them all the time. You know, it's just really cool. I think it's an important distinction that we, we make. I think it's an important distinction that we make. Biblical Christianity is, is relational. It's experiential with God Himself. It's not about religion. Look what Paul says in verse 8. My religion is lost not only because it doesn't justify me, it is lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. (laughs) That's how it is for you, right? you've met Christ who compares to Christ who compares to Christ what compares to Christ if you've really met him what compares who compares nothing nothing compares Paul's like those guys in Matthew 13 you know Matthew 13 there are about five or six parables in there about true conversion that Jesus is is talking about these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 13 you remember the guy that found the treasure what did he do He went and he sold all that he had and bought the field. He found the treasure in the field. He bought the field so he could possess that treasure. That is true conversion. Right? Remember the the parable right after that. The the, the pearl merchant. Right? He was a pearl merchant and he found the pearl of great price. He found, uh, metaphorically, Jesus Christ. What did he do? He sold everything he had that he might possess that pearl. True Christianity. This is what Paul... Is talking about the surpassing value of Christ. Jesus is more valuable than anything else. Jesus is more valuable than everything else. Amen? Beloved, He's not some religious icon. And if He's some religious icon to you, I invite you to go home and repent. I invite you to go home and get on your face before God and repent. He is not some dead and dusty religious icon. He is the Creator, incarnate, crucified, risen God, returning for His people. I am the Good Shepherd. Beloved, don't make Jesus Christ a small thing. If He is a small thing in your life, you need to go home and you need to repent of your sins. Maybe the greatest sin in your life if you've made Jesus some some little small religious thing in your life. He is supposed to be your life. If you call yourself a Christian tonight, He is supposed to be our life. There's there's that great verse that appears six times in the Gospels. Six times. It's in the Gospels. There's no other verse that I can find that appears this many times in the Gospels. Obviously, it's from the lips of Jesus every time. Obviously, Jesus wanted us to hear this. Jesus says, I'll read it to you from Matthew 10.39, He who has found his life shall lose it, but he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. What is Jesus saying? He's simply saying that if you found your life in the temporal, if you're all about the temporal, if you think it's all about you, if you think it's all about what you can acquire, if you think it's about this life, you'll lose everything. You're going to lose everything. But, if you really have found your life in me, like the man who sold everything to possess the field, like the man who sold everything to possess the pearl, if you have found your life in me, he says, you have found life indeed. You have weighed it out correctly. You have weighed it out correctly. You have understood your spiritual accounting. As the martyred missionary Jim Elliott famously said, I know most of you know this, uh, this great quote. He said, He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep in exchange for that which he cannot lose. Amen? I know many of you have heard that quote many times. I love that quote. So the guy with the field, the guy with the pearl, the Apostle Paul, you and me and every other born again Christian throughout the ages, we understand this exchange. We exchange death and hell for life and heaven in Christ Jesus. We've made the exchange. We've made the exchange. There's always an exchange. And Paul, he's face down on the road to Damascus. In his mind and in his heart and in his soul, he's making this exchange. You know, you can read Matthew 10.39 to uh, most people, even those who call themselves religious Christians, and what they hear, they don't hear gain when you read it. They hear loss. Let me read it to you again. This is... They hear loss when you say, He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. You know, your average person hears loss when you read that text to them. But the born-again believer gets it. They hear gain, right? This is what Paul's talking about. Man, all my perfect Jewishness is... It's loss. I have gain. My gain is Christ Jesus. Jesus is better than anything life can give, and Jesus is better than anything death can take. You've heard me say it many times. But it's true. To live as Christ, to die is gain. It's regenerate, born-again, supernatural Christianity. So Paul says, I'm just like those guys in Matthew 13. I joyfully forfeit all to gain Christ. Why? Let me just go through it real quick. Verse 9, In Christ I have the righteousness that comes from God. I'm no longer depending on my own self-righteousness. I have the righteousness that comes from God. Verse 10, In Christ I know God. I know Him. It's like he says up in verse 8, I know Him. It's relational. It's John chapter 10. It's John chapter 17. I know God. It's real. It's not dogma. It's not dead performance. It's not ceremonies and sacraments. I know Him. I know Him. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 10, In Christ I've experienced God's power. Don't you love it? You know, religion, we say it all the time. Religion is outside in. Religion is outside in. It's like a whitewash. You know, Jesus told the Pharisees they were whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Religion is like a whitewash. But in Christ, biblical Christianity... It's power from the inside out, right? It's power from the inside out. It's like Lazarus coming out of the tomb. It's being dead and becoming alive. It's being blind and and learning to see in Christ. Verse 10, I Paul says, I have a partner in suffering. We understand Christians are not immune to suffering. We understand that. We understand that many times Christians will suffer simply because they're Christians. But Paul says, I have fellowship. I have a partner, I have a companion in my suffering, Christ Jesus, who suffered uh, beyond description, especially in a spiritual sense. So Paul says, I don't just have religious platitudes and cliches, I know Him. And He fellowships with me in my suffering. Verse 11, in Christ, I will attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want you to hear me. A Philippians 3 confession is always the result of an Acts 9 encounter with Christ. If you've encountered Christ, like Paul has encountered Christ, you, you understand Philippians chapter 3. If you haven't, you don't get it at all. It's completely alien to you. But if you've had a, a, a genuine encounter with Christ as as Paul did in Acts 9, you will understand the Philippians 3 confession. Paul says, yeah, no more religion for me. No more box checking. No more law keeping. No more self-justifying activity. That's all painted pageantry to go to hell in. He says, no more for me. He says, yeah, I was an impressive Jew. I was at the top of the food chain in Jerusalem. But that's dung to me now, Paul says. It's dung to me now. It's filthy rags. I've met Christ Jesus. Paul says, I've weighed it all out. What I once thought was gain, I have discovered it is utter loss. I I joyfully forfeit it all for the surpassing surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It's what every born-again Christian knows. Jesus is infinitely better than the next best thing. Amen? Jesus is infinitely better than the next best thing. It's just who He is. It's just who He is. He's breathtakingly beautiful and desirable. And I pray that you know Him like that tonight. You know, it's it's all over the pages of Scripture. (laughs) People just, just drop everything and they go after Jesus. They go after God. You know, people who really see, man, it's just like there's nothing better. There's nothing better than this awesome, beautiful, desirable, compelling God. Paul says, I've found the one who feels my heart to overflowing. Nothing compares to Him. And no one compares to Him. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm just going to keep saying that to you as long as we're in Philippians. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Paul's hard-pressed, just like you are. Why was Paul hard-pressed? He said, Man, to, to live on is, is, to, is to honor Christ in my life. That's how you feel, right? Christian? That's your first priority, right? To live on is to honor Christ in my life. To live on is to magnify Christ in my life. That's the big number one. Everything else is a small two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? The big number one to magnify Christ in my career, in my family, in my relationships, in my money, in my investments. In my school, in my studies, I magnify Christ, right? That's if I live. If I die, I'm with Christ, right? To live is to magnify Jesus. To die is to be with Jesus. (laughs) It's a win-win situation, right? It's a win-win situation. So, face down on the road to Damascus, Paul began to taste the raging love that God had for him. And when he got off his face, he never stopped living out the raging love that he now has for Jesus Christ. Beloved, I tell you this every week that is biblical Christianity. That is biblical Christianity. Hopelessly in love with Jesus. None of us do it perfect. We know we all sin, we struggle with our sin. But as as John says in 1 John, when we sin, we confess it. And he is faithful and just to forgive us. Beloved. Yeah. He's awesome. Is your life magnifying him? Really? Is that who you are? Is that how you're living? Is Philippians 3 your confession? I pray that it is. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us. There may be some in this room who have just been doing religion all their life because someone told them that's what they should do. There's no real relationship there. There's no real knowing Jesus Christ. There's no real loving Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that You might invade that life tonight. I pray that You would reveal Yourself to that man or woman. And I pray as we talked about at length several weeks ago. That each one of us in this room, lost or found, we would be seeking after You. We would be hot on the heels of Christ Jesus. That our principal priority would be to magnify Him in every sphere of our life. What a beautiful, compelling, awesome God. Jesus Christ is infinitely better than the next best thing. He's better than anything. He is better than everything. Jesus Christ is better than anything this life can give, and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. Lord, I pray that that is our heartbeat. I pray that that is our confession. So Lord, I pray that You will uh, enable us to leave this place And go out into the world and magnify and make Jesus famous for our joy and for your glory. We pray all of this in his matchless name. Amen. Jesus, Messiah.